Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 504 on Tuesday, the 13th of December, 2022. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And this week, we'll be seeing more examples of how making vehicles is hard. We are interested in one design competition looking at accessibility. And we are thankful for haranguing listeners. At least they don't fill a stadium and boo at us. No, that's true. We we don't have that yet, only because we haven't played at a stadium yet. Uh, <laughs> but first, a bit of follow-up. And this is the news that Rivian has, uh, massive, massive air quotes here, paused its joint venture with Mercedes-Benz. This was all about the story we discussed a few weeks ago where they were partnering up to build electric vans in Europe. That is no longer going to be the case for the time being, <clears throat> forever, um, maybe. Uh, they are going to be concentrating on their operations in the US and trying to become cash flow positive. The thing about Rivian, I guess making vehicles is is hard. I meant Rivian is they are actually delivering vehicles, both to consumers and to fleet customers as well. Mm. So there is a glimmer of reality here. I have seen them with my very own eyes. Mm. They exist. They are more... They're more real than others. <laughs> they are more real than, say, Arrival. Yes. Or, or some of the others. And it's it's a bit, yeah, one of those. Unfortunately, it is just reiterating how difficult it is, how expensive it is particularly pursuing a, again in inverted commas, new technology because hmm. battery tech is still relatively new when we're looking at internal combustion engines are plus 100 years of development to get to the point where we are now. This is tricky because they're having to learn everything, not hmm. just make it more efficient and lighter, but it's the cost of how to build it, how to keep making it safer and all this other stuff. And it's just very, very difficult and very, very expensive. And that's without any mad stories of deciding to have an office in the Bahamas and people can take sabbaticals there and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Electro jets and stuff. Rivian's biggest investor is Amazon. Mm -hmm. uh, the thing is that if they can build it, and when they can build it, they have a customer for it because the, the contract is to supply 100,000 electric delivery van to Amazon. Yep. It's not that they don't have customers. It's not that they don't have good investors. It's not that they don't have a market, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's just that it's hard. Yeah. And let's deal with focusing in one place before expanding to elsewhere. Yes. Sensible. Well, I think so. Do you want to bring us to the core blimey? You really could knock me down with a feather in how surprising this story is. Yes. The Competition and Markets Authority in the UK has commissioned a review and the review finds that fuel prices are not falling fast enough. <laughs> According to this Autocar article, they've found evidence of rocket and feather pricing for fuel during 2022. Coincidentally, these prices and the fact that they went up so quickly when Russia invaded the Ukraine and haven't really been coming down ever since, despite the fact that Wholesale prices of fuel have leveled off, stabilized, uh, dropped back after the initial panic. Consumer prices are still high and still haven't actually really seen any decrease 
at all. Even when the government said, no, no, we'll take this much off a, a litre of, of fuel, then uh, all of a sudden that much was added back on again very, very quickly. And this has all coincided uh, with an increase in uh, fuel retailers' profits. Uh, I can't imagine where that increase in profits possibly came from. Mm-hmm. I'm still staggered. I know there's issues with the wholesale price, then there is also currency rates impact on this mm. and everything, but the disproportionately high price and also the disproportionate gap between diesel and petrol. I know there is a reason why there is a gap, but it is huge around here. But even then, the wholesale price of diesel has come down 33 pence uh, over set period, whereas the retail price has only come down by 8.4 pence. And you kind of wonder where the rest of that's gone. I try not to think about this lot too much because it makes me very angry when they were so vocal in lockdown saying we're, we're going to lose petrol places. Mm-hmm. And people went out and filled up their cars to make sure these these establishments stayed open. And this is the... And I know that also before anyone at me at me, I know that the individual runners of these locations are not necessarily the company that is displaying their you know it's not bp it's not so necessarily it's a franchise mm. sometimes but still mm-hmm. we have been royally ripped off yeah uh, yes I, I agree i'm not going to mention fuel prices over here so i'm just going to shut up. don't do that again it, don't make me sad please <laughs> Lots of uh, competition and markets authority. Continuing on with that, BMW has been fined by the Competition and Markets Authority because it said that it believes BMW holds information it is requested. It's all around to do with a probe that it launched earlier in the year over suspected anti-competitive conduct, which I'm sure we covered, I want to say, February, March time. when the It EU was quite something. some time ago, yeah. The Competition and Markets Authority asked BMW UK for information, but the BMW Group has not felt that they needed to comply with the CMA's request because the CMA doesn't have jurisdiction for where they Mm. are and where that information is held, unlike with BMW UK. Yes, BMW is saying, well, all of this information is held out with the UK and therefore it's out with your jurisdiction. BMW, by the way, are complying and cooperating uh, with the European investigation. Yes. So there we have it. Fun Brexity bonus. Well done, everyone. Mm-hmm. Do you want to take us to Toyota? Yes. Uh, news broke yesterday that Toyota is outlining a three-year EV plan changes, first of all, to its uh, suppliers to make sure that they can gear up and get ready for it. What's happened? essentially is that Toyota's EV strategy had three phases. <laughs> oh, you didn't mean it like that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're just tripping out before I've even noticed them today. That's how good we are. <laughs> yeah. Here, let me have another sip of coffee. I wish I had thought of that because that's quite a good one, actually. Uh, anyway, there were originally three stages to Toyota's uh, transformation plan, the first one being to essentially build EVs mostly off an existing in, or a internal combustion-based platform. Uh, the idea being that then uh, EVs and internal combustion cars could be built on the same production lines. First phase of that is the BZ4X Lexus RZ Subaru Solterra. 
was the initial initial part of that. The second phase was to be similar, but a bit more tailored towards EV. And the third phase was full EV platforms. What's happened is that Toyota have looked at the second phase and gone, you know what, that's not going to let us scale as quickly as we're going to need to, given the EV market. Uh, what they're looking to do, supposedly, allegedly, according to this marketscreener.com article, is they're looking to change that and to bring forward the amount of EV-ness in the platforms. Obviously, that's going to have knock-on effects because they're going to have to rejig the platforms that have already designed. So I'll be speaking to the suppliers to talk about the change of plan, uh, but that also will mean that there's probably going to be a knock-on effect on some of those phase two cars. So some of those cars that were vehicles that are meant to come out in that second stage of the, I almost said stage of the transformation, uh, stage of the evolution. It was getting far too work-like. <laughs> That's going to have an, a knock-on effect there. So there may be a little bit of a delay before those second stage cars come to, uh, vehicles come to market. It's interesting looking at how open this information is mm -hmm. and how much Toyota are prepared to change things up. I know this is part of their ethos of the Toyota way. It is, it is very much the Toyota way, yeah. Yeah, yeah don't, don't get me wrong. I do understand that. But we see so much secrecy in companies. It's one thing to be open in a factory and say, this isn't working on this line, to be open to the world and explain, right, we now need to change this because we need to move faster. Mm -hmm. Talking of stuff that won't be quicker, though, and here is Volkswagen's new CEO, <laughs> Oliver Bloom. Well, he has going to tell the board of Volkswagen Group that actually we're going to have to delay the software version 2.0. One of the things that's been discussed is that this is a reality check for this area, which I'm not surprised is happening uh, anyone who's had the misfortune to interact with their software or seen the stories about it will know that they have struggled in becoming a tech company now on top of a car manufacturing company as well as everything else they're having to do all at once. Yeah. But it looks like it's going to be 2028 instead of 2026 before the version 2.0 of the platform or platform version 2.0 comes out. There is discussions about still going on about whether Porsche will implement the 1.2 platform. Sorry, there's lots of versions of platforms here. I do apologize. But you can read this if for a better understanding on the Reuters article we have linked, whether they're going to use the premium platform 1.2 in the eMacan for Porsche. But it looks like Audi's going to be doing it anyway. Goodness me. It's going to be premium platform 1.2. Service Pack 7 Hotfix 18 uh, is going to be deployed. <laughs> oh, gee whiz. And let's not forget, Dice lost his job over the software. Yeah. yeah. That's what he lost his job for, was over the problems with the software. What makes this so difficult, of course, is that we're talking about safety-critical software, first of all. It really it is safety-critical. Yep. And secondly, we're talking about it in uh, mass-market consumer goods. B2C. And as I think we were talking about before we, we started recording today, that is the hardest type of software ever to create. Because if you're just doing safety critical, it's fine. It can be a bit 
crummy and hard to use because safety. Yes. If it's a B2B situation, then it doesn't matter if the UI is a bit janky and it doesn't matter if there's a spelling mistake, the buttons don't quite line up. I mean, it would be better if it was right, obviously, says man who works for software company. Uh, it would be better if it was right, but ultimately it's not end user, consumer, anyone facing stuff. Yeah. But it works. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you can have the sexy stuff. Look at this. Look at this nice interface. Mm, yeah. Okay. So maybe it doesn't work great. Every now and again, it glitches. You might have to reboot your PlayStation or reboot your television, like I did last night, which is a source of great annoyance that you have to reboot a television. <laughs> and and these kind of things, because you know it's it's glitching on the HDMI, and you can get away with that. People will get knocked by it, but it does. It's not going to kill you. Yeah. You know, I, I had to wait a few minutes longer before watching an episode of To the Manor Born or something. Yeah, actually, you YouTube. were inconvenienced. You were not killed. <laughs> I was inconvenienced minorly, but I wasn't going to die as a result. Where you have to have both. So you have to have good looking. Easy to use. Easy to use. Consumer facing cuddly software. That that's just that's the hardest. That's the hardest sort of intersection on the Venn diagram. Mm. And that's why this if if you ever wonder why is it so hard, that's why it's so darned hard. Yeah. Because people uh, and we have done it ourselves, uh, and I certainly have. People have said, "Oh, why didn't they just get uh, particularly a few years ago, get Google and Apple to do it?" Google and Apple don't have safety critical bits. Yeah. That's what's missing there. Yeah, they don't have the safety critical bits, and as we all know, we have enough annoyances with the various software operating system providers that we interact with on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Now, putting that in a car, no thanks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this this connection's glitched out twice already in, in the recording of this podcast, uh, which hopefully you won't notice, but it, it has. But if that was safety critical in my car, I'd be far more worried. Mm. Yep. What it requires is it requires the car manufacturers to be more realistic mm-hmm. and not look at Silicon Valley and go, oh, we can we can just copy and paste that, which is a, another problem. <laughs> yeah, because Silicon Valley isn't doing safety critical. Now, what you can do, of course, is the car manufacturers could do all the safety critical stuff in the background that we never have to look at. Mm. And then all that happens. Well, we may have to occasionally look at it, but mostly we just plug in and use CarPlay or Android Auto, and then we go about our merry ways. Yep. Um, just, <laughs> oh, the puns are awful today. I'm so sorry. And just use that bit. And then we don't have to care about the car makers, safety critical stuff in the background. And maybe that's actually the solution to mm. an extent. And we are happy to accept the check from the car industry for that answer yeah I, I we've talked about that for what 10 minutes and normally a few hundred dollars an hour yeah i'm okay I'll t- i will accept that or any part thereof of the day or any part thereof because <laughs> of course preparation has gone into this too <laughs> it doesn't come for free talking of not inexpensive places do you want to take us to mns actually it's funny last night i was thinking just how much i miss mns yeah okay this is, it was a living in america rant about to come up there but uh he, <laughs> it's killing me everyone i forgot what i said just uh so i can tie in yes i was thinking last night just how much i, I miss m&s but i'll spare you a living in america rant uh, and i'll tell you about bp pulse who are going to be introducing not just charges but Marks and Spencer's charges. 
they're going to add up to 900 new fast charging points at Marks and Spencer stores over the next two years. The least powerful they'll be installing is uh, 50 kilowatt, aiming to have at least one ultra rapid, that's uh, greater than 150 kilowatt or faster chargers at around 70 MS stores. They'll be looking to add 400 kilowatt hours of charging capacity in total. Two pilot sites are already alive uh, in Maidstone and Southgate, giving currently a total of 15 50 kilowatt charging points. I think that this is a very good idea. Already teamed up with Marks and Spencers at um, Fuel Station Four Courts. I think we have to start calling them fuel stations now because if you're going, there's no point calling yeah. them a petrol station if it's EV charging. They're now actually just more shops. I was just going to call, I almost called it forecourt, just went forecourt. Yeah, no, that's right. Sorry. Let's, let us discuss our linguistic issues with you uh, as we record a <laughs> podcast and try to work out, work out how to make a pun about Percy Pigs and Petrol. Yeah, more than 60 BP stations currently have BP Pulse uh, charge points. So this is really the expansion of, of an existing partnership where yeah. previously Marks and Spencers went to the fuel station. Now the fuel stations are going to Marks and Spencers. Yep. Makes sense. I think it's great. Plug in, go to your shop in. Come back 15, 20 minutes later. Oh, your car's full as well. So I'm going to stick with EVs, but this time I am going to talk about a new design competition that has been created by Motability, the charity and design firm Callum, which has been founded by Ian Callum, ex-Jaguar designer. Now, what they're trying to do is look at how can EVs be made more accessible for people who are using uh, wheelchairs. So this is really designed at electric wheelchair accessible vehicles is what they're calling this, and they want to future-proof it and make it affordable as well. By electric wheelchair accessible vehicles, you mean electric vehicles accessible by wheelchairs? Yes. Sorry. Okay. Yes. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so this is aimed at, obviously, design, uh, disabled motorists and their passengers. But it is an interesting one because with the batteries located in EVs at the moment, mm -hmm. that invariably raises up the sill level mm -hmm. to get into something. Rather than make, well, one, steeper ramps or longer ramps that aren't steeper, how can, how can we go about this? Yeah, I mean, one of the challenges with the... I mean, you'd think skateboard battery pack would be great for this because flat floor, etc. But as we said, it raises... The, the floor inside the vehicle which makes it harder to to get in and as well as that it also blocks the space under the vehicle so you can't necessarily have lifts or ramps mounted there because they would crash into the battery pack mm -hmm. and because that's quite a relatively common technique we've all seen bilingos with a sort of slot at back for the yep. where the ramp goes inside the vehicle to keep it shorter and more compact and we've also seen other vehicles, uh, vans and the like, where the wheelchair lift comes out from underneath, which seems to be quite a common solution here. You take a Toyota Sienna, you actually lift the body off the chassis on blocks so that it looks like it's on tiptoes. Yeah, it's really aesthetically... Challenging, yes. Challenging. <laughs> uh, and uh, and then there's a, a wheelchair lift sort of slides out from underneath, and it literally does look like it's standing on stilts. It's very crude. Mm. Although the manufacturers will probably tell me otherwise. And yeah, the lift comes out. But neither of those really work if you've got that skateboard pack uh, in there. So so yeah, it's going to be a, a tricky one. Yeah. 
I've always been a huge fan of the uh, Sir William Towns Minissima and the resulting wheelchair accessible vehicle from there, but it's a little bit small and not wonderfully always practical. Yeah. So this competition has been opened up to design students. They are at uh, Coventry University and the Glasgow School of Art. Already there has been 60 entries from students, or 60 students have entered, but the winner will be decided in January 2023. I'm, I'm just sorry, I'm just trying to imagine Glasgow School of Art graduates uh, designing uh, wheelchair accessible electric vehicles, and um, but I can't remember it. I think I might have had a project about that some time ago. Not sure it fits with this, though. Oh, okay. Sorry you can't resubmit, Alan. Yes, it is a little bit late now for me. <laughs> Talking of being a bit late, do you want to talk to us about the laws to legalise private e-scooters in the UK? Yes. Well, no, not really, but I will do. <laughs> Remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about the fact that the e-scooter, uh, the rental e-scooter trials had been extended through until uh, into 2023 and into 2024 then it will come as no huge surprise to find that planned laws to legalize private e-scooters uh, have been delayed as well until at least next year. The, one of the government ministers are familiar with this, saying it's still studying the evidence from the ongoing uh, rental trials. There's a number of things they're looking at, including accidents that have happened, including the way that they use just, just the outcomes and, the, and what's happening in the trials. Mm. and people's behavior in the trials and stuff like that to try and get an idea of just what the important parts are. And and obviously quite a lot of it is focusing not so much on people's use and volume and stuff, but also on uh, any evidence of antisocial behavior on the trial scooters, which is a shame, I think, actually. But inevitable. This is interesting, actually, and I, I have no problem with them taking their time on this because mm. as we're finding out from stories that we've covered here or we see that we don't actually put in the show there's lots of moves going on about e-scooters where perhaps they some places have rushed in and are now backtracking uh -huh. slightly when we there's the paris mayor yeah. who's looking at banning them with your incredibly good theory but also because i discussed this with some uh, mobility experts who were looking into this as well. There is a big question mark about some of the trips and how they actually increase the emissions, particularly look at the whole life of the e-scooter as well. Mm. Uh, and that ties into where we've seen some places in the UK where they, they wish to ban e-scooters from very short journeys because particularly the, the shorter the journey, the more concentrated the emission can be calculated against the distance traveled mm -hmm. so there are not just the safety not just how people use them not just the technology for ensuring they cannot be abused and used in areas they shouldn't be or on pavements when they shouldn't be and all this sort of stuff but there is wider implications as well that short journey one bothers me because how do you know that somebody hasn't just forgotten their keys at home and has just kind of had to pull a UE in and, and quickly head home? It looks like a completely wasted journey on, on that kind of thing or completely pointless or just going for a quick joyride. Whereas in actual fact, there's a reason behind it. What do you do? Do you charge more for a short journey? Or? Uh, I'm not sure. The other thing as well with all these calculations, we they, these, these rental companies always say, we've saved 10,000 car journeys, etc. 
a lot of studies showing actually it's people who were walking now take a scooter. I may have been guilty of that in the past. Can I walk? I can't be bothered walking home. I'll just take the scooter. And that damages the whole idea that the active travel is, is better because someone was already walking. So they were the least trouble as far as emission goes. You were the, you were the smallest footprint, no pun intended, but you're the smallest <laughs> footprint of all the options out there. And now you're using something that is further up the scale. And, and this is... I don't believe the government are doing this, but it gives them the opportunity to look at it quite holistically mm-hmm. and more than level one thinking. But it did save the particulate matter that would have come off the bottom of my trainers as a result of walking. No, but then you've got tires of the Yeah, but I scooter. kind of walk and twist my feet so I wear it quite quickly. Uh, yeah, just... but I've seen you go around corners, mate. You, you know, yeah, you're all right. Fair enough. Sparks <laughs> off your elbow pads. <laughs> Hannah's going to be signing you up as one of her new riders for her <laughs> winning team. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. I think that's a sure way to kill the uh, the power to weight ratio anyway. Right, that's the end of the first part anyway. <laughs> it's all got a bit downhill today, hasn't it? But yes, we've reached guilt minute, the quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on and the hosting running. If you feel the motoring podcast is worth a small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. Different levels of patron include different levels of commitment for us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live, you poor masochists, if you're watching today. Uh, we also have a small range of merchandise in our spring store, from stickers to mugs and t-shirts, sadly way too late for Christmas, especially with the way the UK postal service is right now. Mm. If you don't have any spare cash, and we completely understand, then you can help us by following for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released, and by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all of that, and some of you do, and more of you are doing it, it's really, really appreciated. Thank you very, very much. The last thing, of course, that you can do is to recommend us to your friends or colleagues. Thank you. Thank you, everybody that does mm. on all of that. Right, WRC, and I think really the final big piece of the puzzle of who was going to be where in the musical chairs of WRC and the news that Otanic has gone to M Sport and if we remember M Sport is the team where he did his junior rallying and sort of cut his teeth there and got to grips and understand exactly the sort of things that would be required of him and help put him on this path but it looks like it's a great fit M Sport desperately need a winner mm-hmm. to lead the team and uh, I think Tanek will get all the love and support that he needs, particularly after the tough year last year that he's had, as well as on top of the tough time he had at Hyundai. It just didn't work out for him Mm -hmm. uh, for a variety of reasons. But last year was, or last season was particularly tough for him for personal reasons. So that will help things, uh, I feel, as well. Uh, Hopefully, we will see M Sport be much more consistent and able to finish rallies. Um, after their brilliant start at uh, Monte Carlo, where we all got overexcited and then it just never happened again for them at all. Oh, fingers crossed for 2023. Yep. Not that long away now. <laughs> I know, don't say that. It's like a month. <laughs> it is, yes. <laughs> Alan, do you want to take us to an article that is the result of someone shouting at us on social media? One of our lovely listeners. <laughs> One of our lovely, yeah, so... Uh, also, yeah, no new new car news this week. There's not really much out there hand happening, and anything there is is really a Christmas party in disguise. Uh, so, <laughs> so, 
So yes, uh, we're going to skip that, uh, and we're going to go to the the, the tale of David Dobuchowski and his <laughs> Peugeot four hundred five Mi sixteen. This is a story. This is on Jalopnik. So he's in the US. We have so to, he is in the US. We do I have to point out, that, yes, yeah. the 1989 MI16 is not just in the US, it's also a US car as well. So it's not been imported from Europe. Uh, and David is a masochist. And uh, <laughs> it's what I've learned from this. And of course, being a 1989 Peugeot in the US, or Peugeot uh, in the US, not many people are running out of their garages to help fix this. <laughs> so David ended up taking it on himself. And, you know, he's not unfamiliar with these kind of things, but this time he got maybe a little carried away. And, um, yeah, it's, I mean, it, it is a good news story. Ultimately, it's a good news story. So don't worry. Don't, don't start crying. There's a happy ending. It, there is a happy ending. Do have a read because it's, it's really nicely written. And I was on Tenderhooks most of the way through it. As I was reading, cracking piece uh, on on Jalopnik. It's, it's the kind of stuff that Jalopnik has always been very, very good at. Yes, and thank you for the suggestion, by the way. Much as I've made a bit of fun of it, but thank you for the suggestion. That's great. Yep. Good stuff. And if any of you have, if you any of you do have, have come across other good lunchtime reads that you want to share with other people, or lists of the week that you want to share with other people, do let us know. Do give us a yep. quick poke. Uh, let us know. Uh, send us a link, and we will give them a read and add them to the list if we like them yep absolutely talking a list of the weeks it is my turn to ask alan if mm. he could make his pick out of 30 years of honda's type r cars please yes there aren't many so i won't there aren't many and I, the, the, the irony of this i was almost hoping this was the other way around uh, because everybody knows that it's not going to be an fk8 and it's not going to be an fk2 uh, <laughs> civic type r if you do want to know more about why it's not those then have a little bit of a look back in the archives I, i've spent time with both i'll happily spend more time with those and still bear the mental scars no the <laughs> one that i have chosen from the list is the dc2 integra type r from 1997 to 1999. It's a very cool... I've never driven one. I would love to drive one. I but really from, don't like the look of those. I know this is no, a dreadful thing this to is, say. It's, but it's I'm not about not the look. Fan. I, well, it is a little bit about the looks, isn't it? Because most of people's... A lot of people's complaints about the last type, Civic Type R, was, oh, look at it. My complaints were not about, oh, look at it. I said most people, not yours. I'm just making that clear for anyone else. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, they can so, go back and listen. <laughs> a slightly challenging, a slightly challenging aesthetic is not really a big deal for me. I have owned a Veyacross for nine years, um, but the, the for me this is an important car because there was an article in Autocar many many years ago when the DC2 was current, and it was a number of roads around the UK. It was the kind of thing that we would love as a list of the week these days. It was a number of roads around the UK and the perfect car to drive them on. Mm -hmm. or to, to drive on them or in and the dc2 type r was right along the top edge of scotland the bit that you slept oh. through when we were charging around britain and it was going from sort of cape rath direction right the way along uh past tongue towards uh, thurzo and wake and i read that and i thought that was really really cool and when i was moved to inverness that was one of the reasons that was still in my mind and i took my one liter Toyota RSS up 
and try to recre- recreate that with my 64 horsepower or whatever it was at there and to try that and to just see what that road was like and stuff and that set off a whole chain of events which results in silly cars and stuff like that but yeah that's one of, that's the reason i'm i'm choosing that there's other great choices in here i mean some of them are very very predictable there's at least one other i've i've driven not quite on that road but but on the bar and, bar and stuff and it's a car that i really like as well so there's a number of really cool cars in there yeah. but the dc2 integra is definitely my choice okay cool do you want to take us to sainsbury's now in a surprising departure for a motoring not, not particularly this is this is an article by friend of the show major gab by gavin braithwaite smith uh, again for Haggerty, entitled supermarket car parks looked so much better in the 1980s and he's right yes he's right if only because the cars were colorful <laughs> yes i mean some of, <laughs> that is actually a good point <laughs> some of them might be appalling tat but they were at least <laughs> colorful and fitted in the spaces yes. in fact many of them are appalling tat let's not have too much rose tint on our spectacles here no there's some awful crumb, mm. crumbs of cars in here i'm speaking to you morris marina austin allegro yeah some of the generations of escort yes the datsun sunny uh sunny or cherry that's at the foreground uh but it's it's quite it's a really interesting little piece here just sort of buzzing through and analyzing what's there and and trying to sort of i was gonna say reverse engineer the picture but just trying to sort of work it work it back from from what it is and, and, and look at what people are doing and stuff. Well, there's also a link in, because why this picture is going, it's because it's to do with uh, Sainsbury's archive is accessible now. Hmm. And uh, Gavin decided <laughs> he would look through some of the old pictures and that's what he found. And there is a link to the uh, archive and I now too have clicked on that and gone through and had a look at what cars are about and what years in which car parks. And it is it is an amazing trip back down memory lane and it is remarkable how long certain cars actually still were used Mm -hmm. are used well there's many there's many visible number plates you see and so obviously with the number plate and what the car is in the uk you can track back and, and see when it last sort of passed its passed its mot passed its inspection test and stuff if you've read the lunchtime read you've run through the list of the week and you have another period of time in which you wish to look busy but not be actually doing anything work related click through on the link in the show notes to then find the sainsbury's archive link brilliant fun yeah can we just add something to this uh andrew you were saying before we start recording that you were familiar with this with this particular sainsbury's yes one of the things in the picture is there is an escort estate, a three-door <laughs> escort estate, with a surfboard on the roof. <laughs> what was it you were saying earlier on about optimism? Yes. Well, in 1983, even more so to mm. have a surfboard in Liverpool to think about, consider going into the sea. One, that there, you could get to it, and two, you weren't going to be poisoned. And three, mm-hmm. that there would be anything to surf. <laughs> you, you could lie on it because <laughs> there's no waves. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's a turbo diesel as well. 
looking at the badges. But who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? But yes, it does. It seems incredibly incongruous uh, in the supermarket car park. Not mm, yes. I was going to say I, not I an like SUV the way inside, the, but... the straps are actually denting the bottom of the surfboard. Oh, I hadn't noticed. I hadn't uh, looked in that. Oh, yeah, they are fairly. But yeah, they're, well, it's not going to fall off, is it? Let's yes, look it's at not the coming positives. Off. It's not going to fall off. <laughs> it's not coming off. <laughs> Anyhow, I think, are we done? Are there any any parish notes? I don't Yes, there think, are. Oh, there I, are. There is. This is the last news show of the year mm-hmm. because we won't be recording anything now until back in January. Can I just do what we did in August? Because there's never any news over the next few weeks. Yeah, so there will now be all of the news tomorrow. To be fair, we have generally shut down over Christmases for the last many years. We have, yeah. Yeah, but there will be special editions. So if you need some escape from family time or you've had too much cheer and joy, then you can listen to us. <laughs> we've, got a couple of th- we've got a couple of shows lined up for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we're back at it uh, early January Yes, to start recording again. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we're, we're sort of we're sort of pretty much teed up. Yeah. So everybody have a lovely Christmas break. Yes. Whether you celebrate or not, have tons of fun, relaxation, and come back fresh in the new year. Shall we be back recording again in 2023? That seems very, very scary to say. Mm. Anyhow, in the meantime, don't forget that between now and anytime you want really uh, you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts to show at motoring podcast on twitter and instagram on facebook and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com the hub of all our activities remember you can support us financially via patreon and please leave a review and rating on apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing andrew what's the best way to get in touch with you best way to get in touch with me is via twitter if you search for crack windscreen you should find me there also in my profile there is my mastodon address which i can never remember off the top of my head because it's not easy so if you happen to be on there or you moved there then you can find me that way and we can keep in touch and alan if people would like to get in touch with you personally what's the best way for them to do that uh well it's very similar really best way is to use twitter where i'm at ajp bradley it's the same username if you search for that on mastodon but again the link is in the show notes sharing those other links because everything might implode at any point really (laughs) (laughs) who knows as I said, we'll be back uh, recording new shows in the new year. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.